And now, the starting lineup for your... Gangsters, what's up, guys? I got slacker. MV. I'm not going to debate you, Jerry. God bless the internet. What the hell is going on out here? Oh, fuck it. Hello and welcome, he said. Uh, just looking and screaming. <laughs> I'm Jed Craig here with my co-host Evan Fagundis. Hey. And JT Chipman. Hey, one second. Sorry, I gotta get these wings unglued. And okay, this okay, week, we are talking about the Wes Anderson short films that he made for Netflix. Among them, the wonderful story of Henry Sugar, The Swan, Poison, and The Rat Catcher. Did I get all those right off the top of my head? But I believe so. Get into that, gentlemen. How are we doing? This fine evening, Evan. How are you? Um, I, I'm doing well. I, I have nothing to complain about right now. Um, I was just home uh, with the family for a couple of days, so it was nice to get a reset. Um, you know, trying to hit the theaters a little bit. Hit the theater for a movie that Chip was really excited about that I think we'll be talking about coming up here. Um, so that was fun. But uh, yeah, end of summer. We're winding down. Chip, how are you doing? I am doing really good. MLB postseason is here. Postseason. Wild card week, truly one of the best times to uh, watch television in your office when you're supposed to be working. Highly recommend. I hope you all are engaging in the same, same activity. Uh, Jed, what's going on with you? I agree with you, Chip. Uh, it's that and then the four golf majors are like the mm. prime, uh, you know, middle of the office watching time, just like the daytime sports. Um, yeah. Love that. Uh, I'm doing all right, man. You know, I'm I'm a little emotional. A baby girl, sweet little Isla, turns one tomorrow, and uh, you know, I think it snuck up on us. Uh, definitely feeling a lot, a lot more emotional about this time than when uh, Charlie, my uh, firstborn, turned one. Um, but you know what? We'll soldier on, and uh, to to help shoulder the burden uh, of my emotions, to help me focus on the small black within the candle so that I may not feel uh, so sad is these incredible, uh, if I do say so myself, short films uh, by Mr. Wesley Anderson. Uh, I got to know, guys. Did you expect this? Like, I know we we I know we, we talk about West a lot, but did we expect this? I had no idea what to expect, frankly. I knew we were coming in for four short films, uh, which I think was news that I kind of broke to y'all last week, which which I've reflected on multiple times to great joy getting to share that information with you. Really, one, one of the highlights of the year so far uh, was getting to kind of break that to y'all, uh, how the anthology was, was going to happen. Um, but I don't think I was expecting – I don't think I was expecting anything. I really try to come in as a blank – vacuum to whatever Wes had cooked up. New Roll Doll was going to be involved, so you've got some idea of the tone, um, but there were a couple of surprises in here, not only in story choice, but also in intention from Wes and some of the things that he's alluding to and little tricks that he plays kind of threw me for a bit of a loop. I agree with that. I mean, I didn't really know what to expect. I feel like I got what I expected in that this felt like a Wes anderson project like uh from from the opening frame 
you knew who was making this. Now, the form itself, if that's kind of what you're referring to, no, I didn't expect that at all because it was one of the most unique forms I've ever seen. Um, but as far as like four short films directed by Wes Anderson, it it made a lot of sense. I mean, this this slots right into his you know, filmography, I feel like pretty comfortably and doesn't necessarily feel, it feels like an extension of him or, or uh, um, you know, him restylizing himself as he goes, but it it doesn't feel foreign to the rest of the work that he's done. Yeah. And for, for, because we haven't really said it. So these are four short Wes Anderson films, but they're adaptations of Road Dahl uh, short stories, which I think is a really interesting thought this is not the first time that he's adapted uh Rodol with the Fantastic Mr. Fox is clearly a very important um artist to Wes and I and I think I I'm interested to know what order you guys watched them in but I started with the wonderful story of Henry Sugar um being that it is the longest and kind of the one that was most advertised and there was something about the structure of that of kind of like the story within the story uh you know box within a box that I I was almost like, oh, interesting. Did Wes do this because, like, that's what he's been doing, right? He's been doing this kind of thing for his last two films. Like, I wonder if that's what drew him into this, and then he kind of got wrapped up. Um, but there's a lot that I felt like I learned about about Wes as a filmmaker from these four and about what Wes thinks about Wes as a filmmaker. It felt like there were times where he was challenging um, some con- some of his, you know, particular conventions with his camera work, uh, Evan, which I'm sure you'd love to talk about. There are some uh, moments where I feel like he almost went back to some more like bottle rocket style stuff um, that really like broke the mold. Uh, but first and foremost, what order did you guys watch these in? Order, order of release. So starting with Henry Sugar, went to Swan, Ratcatcher and Poison. I don't know how much that actually affected my viewing. I don't I think Henry Henry Sugar first is definitely the move because I do think the other three are kind of in any order, but diving into the world of Roald Dahl meets Wes Anderson, beginning with Henry Sugar, I do think is important because of how the Roald Dahl Ray Fiennes character pops up in the other three stories. I would say that 100% and, or start with Henry Sugar, but I I watched it um, I watched Ratcatcher second, and then I watched Swan, and then Poison. I would almost see, feel like those bookends of Henry Sugar and Poison are almost required. Poison felt like the end to me of these four, and I'm interested to know if you felt the same way. Evan, what order did you watch them in? I watched them the same as Chip, Henry Sugar, The Swan, The Ratcatcher, and Poison. I just searched it. I just searched henry sugar order on twitter and saw more people than not commenting this order and saying it was the release so that's the way i went similar to chip too i'm not exactly sure if it made a huge difference i did think that watching the swan second for me was really effective just because henry sugar is so wistful and so it's almost like one big joke in a way that these other stories are not especially the swan i felt like yeah, I, I agree. I don't I, know. It it really just... Yeah, it was weird. I don't know why I watched Ratcatcher second. I think it was just like a like pure happenstance. That, that was the one that I saw next and clicked on. Um, But I'd be interested to go back and watch them again and do 
this one second and see if Ratcatcher felt heavier because Ratcatcher almost felt like it started off a little bit more jovial and then obviously kind of divulges into something that's uh, quite different. And I wonder if the reason that I felt like it was a, a little bit more, uh, I don't know, comedic in the beginning was because we were coming off of the, you know, the kind of warm emotions of the end of Henry Sugar. Um, being that as the order, let's talk about Henry Sugar first. Uh, yeah. What did you guys think of the wonderful story of Henry Sugar? Uh, like, I'd like to talk about just what your guys' thoughts were a minute and a half into this short when you realized what the form was. Because I yeah. was, I got really excited. And it, you're totally right. I mean, Asteroid City, clearly, clearly, West has really strong ideas about being a storyteller and and almost like trying to take as much of the facade away as possible so that it's clear that he's just telling a story and, and these are characters in a story not necessarily um you know trying to recreate like the the world that we live in um i guess i don't know i'm very fascinated by that because the first time somebody turned to the camera and said i said it 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 really i got really excited yeah i i 100 agree i i think it was it was such a cool medium. And I don't know if I've like seen it done exactly this way before, right? Like we've seen movies that are kind of play like, and this was a short film that was like a play that was also like the reading of, of a dramatic short story. You know, it, there, I think there's, what I got out of it is is just how much trust Wes ha- had in the actors to deliver these performances and also um, how much like pure emotion was poured into the performances. Well, like I think that's what stuck with me with like all four is just how incredible all of the performances are from the cast of characters that we see. And, um, and I... I don't know what it was, but I can't tell you the last time I watched something at home where my eyes have been that glued, like, to the screen, where I've almost felt like, I know, and I know it's it's a bit of a joke considering the, the Henry Sugar story, but, I mean, I did feel that kind of, like, uninterrupted focus. Like, this is the only thing that I could have. I was, like, when I watched Henry Sugar, I was sitting in my bed, and I was enthralled with the story. And I laughed, and I, and I was... um you know, I was filled with emotion, but most, mostly I was just focused. And I, I thought that was just a really interesting way. It was almost like quick cutting dialogue that we know from Wes, but inserted in as like this, like narrator within the story element to it. It just was different enough to draw me in and keep me engaged. I just want people to know how difficult it is for Wes Anderson to do the things he does. Like, yes, this is not easy filmmaking. This is not easy storytelling. And why did once it not cost three hundred million dollars. Like, oh I, I, I know why all like the like, you know, they say all the Marvel shit costs. But like the amount of like like this should cost so much money in my. Own yeah. Opinion. Sorry, yeah. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Chip. No, no, no. You're exactly right. This, this is not minor Wes Anderson just because these are short films. These are not minor works at all. 
the only thing minor is like the sets are maybe a little bit more minimalist than you might be used to from West. You don't have quite the grand asteroid city quarantine facilities or some of the grand, like, I don't know, French dispatch towns and offices, right? These are a little more minimalist with, with props and with um, set decor, but the ideas, the actors, the emotions, the stories are just as big. And I would say important in this, in these films as the rest of Wes Anderson's like feature length um, story, like to, to do what he's doing, telling the story within the story, within the story to do it in a really compact way so that it's not confusing so that it's very clear while not having to over explain. I mean, that's one of the things with inception. What it does is it has to over explain how the levels of the dream work because the viewer needs a little bit of coaching. Wes doesn't coach. He just tells you exactly what it is. And he trusts you to be smart and to keep up with going deeper and deeper into Cumberbatch, into Kingsley, into, you know, Richard Aote, whoever else is is narrowing at a given point. And that's just that that excellence just kind of blew me away on my first viewing. I was I was so impressed by it and just really glad that he didn't. Um, this wasn't just like a cheap one off because it was a short film. It was something that he put so much work into. He did, and it, it, God, it, and it was just, it just felt really aggressive almost in a way, how confident he was to be able to make it in this form. I mean, lighting, completely lighting two sets and just switching from one to the other, just rolling a camera left to right to get to the other one is just insane. Like hearing filmmakers talk about what it takes to like get a room right, you know, to to shoot a scene um, and to have you know, multiple sets that you're hitting in one take is just absolute insanity. And then also when you're thinking those ideas up in the room to not think that people, some people are just going to turn their brains off as soon as they see that, right? Like that seems like a risk with a movie like this, when a character is talking directly to the camera and then walks from one set to a, to the next one for the next scene, sometimes jumping multiple years or something. I feel like, you know, if I was thinking that up, my first thought would be, are there people out there who are just going to be like, can't do it? Like the, either this is pretentious or this is taking me out of it, whatever. And and it just seems so effective. You know, It's so funny that you mentioned that word pretentious, because I think that's something that gets thrown at West a lot. And I can't think of like a less pretentious filmmaker in a way. Like what he does is just so like weird, like weirdly grounding. I, You know what? I, I just. I when we watched Singing in the Rain a couple weeks ago, and I was just like, God, like soundstage sets are awesome, aren't they? Mm-hmm. Because there's something about what happens to the human brain when you're not trying to replicate the real world. You become like purely enveloped in the story rather than the world creation. And when you're able to create this like beautiful but clearly artificial set piece and multiple set pieces like you said evan there's something about it that just like focuses you in the story that they're trying to tell and in the subtext of the story that they're trying to tell right because things aren't moving too fast everything's moving like things are moving fast and it's not like a it's a blink and you might miss oh look at that small detail of like this book on this set but it's not like blink and you miss oh, you missed this entire thing that connects this lore to that lore to this lore. No, everything moves at a pace that the human brain can comprehend and can follow. And 
I'm just so like thankful that we have a filmmaker that's that not only is like preserving that art form, but is like pushing it. Some of the stuff that he's that he's doing and and the the subtle comedy of the stagehands constantly like, you know, poking in in their uniforms, uh, you know, and people giving them like thumbs ups when they have the things that they need like that shit just works so well for me and he's so aware of what he's doing but it doesn't affect the way that he's doing it well he's able to do certain things tongue-in-cheek but also have this incredible level of like sincere love for this art form that he's pushing forward and i i don't know i i just i just found myself so charmed by (laughs) by all four of these short stories you have to remember a lot in these movies like you talking about the pace makes me think like it's probably a good thing. He's he's going pretty fast considering how much information you're taking in and having to remember and how many layers he's going. I mean, and just to talk a little bit more about what actually happened in the movie and the, the stuff that we're describing, um, like in The Wonderful World of Henry Sugar, the first one, I mean, you are you – are, in a story in a book very quickly in this, in this short. Like it gets a little confusing almost. No, 100 percent. And you're kind of like, OK, where are we? You know what? You know, at what point are we back in the book? And he spends and then he spends like a good chunk of time in that in the book within the story. And so then when Benedict Cumberbatch closes, Henry Sugar closes the book, you're like, oh, that's right. You know, he's like draws you into that story so much that you're like, oh, that's right. That we're, we were in a story within a story. I think it's just not only uh, that. We remember that Benedict Cumberbatch is the person who is in this story. Exactly. Let's talk about let's talk about that, because there's a revolving cast of of characters in these films. Um, We've got Ray Fiennes, who plays a couple of different characters, but also plays Rodal himself. We've got Benedict Cumberbatch. We've got Dev Patel. We've got Ben Kingsley, Richard Iode. um, Who else do we have? Uh, And then we've got Rupert Rupert Friend. Um, Is it Friend? You know, I'm not sure. Rupert F., you know. Okay. Rupert. <laughs> Mr. F. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> but anyway, which of guy. which of the kind of like recurring characters was the biggest standout to you out of these four? You know, I really drew a line from Tom Hanks in Asteroid City to Ben Kingsley and Henry Sugar just as a emotional like like actually emo- more emotionally vulnerable uh presence in a west movie because sometimes he likes to throw in the character that isn't treating emotions in the more stiff uh, uh dead-eyed way you know every character in henry sugar has that same performance uh has that same like capture of how they're saying words how they're responding to events um i think dev patel like does it does it like amazingly as he's navigating around Ben Kingsley, but like Ben Kingsley is not stiff at all. Like his character actually like shuffles from side to side a little bit. All the other characters are like rooted in place. Like they, they, they have their mark and they do not stray a a limb from that mark. Whereas Ben Kingsley, he's got a bit of waver to him and it actually plays so well for his character. Who's actually uh, ironically has mastered this sense of, of focus and clarity yet he can shuffle around a little bit and his lines are not quite as as monotone they've got some they've got a little bit more passion in them and they've got a little bit of like like heartbreak but again 
uh, uh, ease within himself that I don't think that West grants the rest of these characters. So for me, Kingsley specifically in in Henry Sugar was, I mean, just overwhelmed me. That's a that's a great call. It's so hard because it's like. I almost want to pick, you know, and and we could talk about it, somebody who was great, like throughout, who maybe like cut my eye through, I, or the person who I I loved the most in a single one. But I might have to go with Rupert. I'm gonna say I feel like it's spelled like friend, it right? Is. I, I'll I'll say friend. Rupert Friend, who I thought was great in Asteroid City, um, and the Swan is like when I was floored by by this whole project um about halfway through and i just thought he was so good and so warm and you know i want to talk a little bit more as we go to about how wes engineers like these emotional moments or how these emotional moments come about um but i thought a huge part of that was just again like the warmth that he portrayed and and like he you know it the the final moments felt so earned because of the resilience that he almost seemed to to have like playing a child as as an adult man i don't know it just seemed very vulnerable in uh, those blue eyes yeah i mean come and on, the blue what are we eyes doing? andy's gorgeous yeah 100 percent. that moment in the swan when he goes this was me 20 years ago i'm yeah you know, yeah, yeah 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 just knock me out with a louisville slugger yeah um, i am peter watson for me, I've got to say it's Dev Patel, man. He, I yeah, was just. He was great. I was, and, and, I, and I was very excited about him going into this. I love Dev Patel. Um, but, man, just the frantic energy that he brought was something that I, I feel like all West movies need. That Like, there needs to be a character with that, that kind of frantic energy um sensibility and and he brought it and he brought it in spades um and i loved his interactions with ben kingsley i think it was brilliant setting those two apart from each other of kind of like you talked about this swaying oak tree you know of ben kingsley uh versus you know kind of a what almost felt like like a yappy dog running around um in in dev patel and I just thought it was it was a really, really cool way um, to do it, to offset those two in those stories. Um, but yeah, Dev Patel for me, again, w- when we talked about, Evan, you talked about the first time someone said, I said, you know, in that. And, yeah. and, you re- and it was when he was narrating the book within the Henry Sugar story that I was like, oh my fucking God, we are here we are fucking vibing like this. I was like, is this the best thing Wes has ever done? Like when we were in the middle of, of his, of his story. Uh, and he, right before we cut to the big Ben Kingsley monologue and he's like, and I'm going to give you everything he said, just as he said it right now. You know, I was like, mm-hmm. that's it. Give this man, can we give him an Oscar for this? Like, I don't, which is an interesting they, conversation to have about short films, uh, in the Oscars and whether or not this is something that, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, this this has to be one of these will be a lock for live action short short for the Oscars. I would. It'll be say. Henry. It'll be Henry Sugar for sure. Yeah. Um. But anyway, I, I I really loved him. But that's not to discount anybody. And I think the person that I walked away with at the end, um, watching Poison last is like, fucking great finds, man. I mean, I've I I think I've proclaimed he's my favorite actor. Um this I, I stand by it every time they cut 
to him as Rodal just sitting in his chair, it was like, God damn it, yes. I just he understands the assignment every time, um, and he's incredible. Great, the little great happy cardigan behind him. Yeah, the happy birthday sign. Yeah. The very, little great cardigan, the furnace set, the furnace that yeah. would like light up next to him. It'd light up, yeah. yeah. Buzz like crazy. He's like so grandfatherly, but also you can imagine he's a prickly grandfather, you know? <laughs> yeah. But yeah, not prickly in a way where you're like, it's all out of love. You know, he's prickly because he's, he's been through some shit, but... Yes. These are very effective stories, um, and the fact that they are written for children and are still as effective as they are for adults, I feel like, is, you know... It, it takes just really good writing to be able to do that because these don't feel less than at all, you know, dramatically. Um, and, and really to an extent, some of his stories I'm like almost shocked are for children and children like really can get into them as much as they can because they're pretty uh, intense. Yeah. Tales. Yeah. Once he was, he, I believe he was a veteran. He served in different, in, a, in a, one of the wars. I don't know the exact timeline, but he was R- in one of them big World wars. War II, R- right? He was yeah RAF in World War Two. He was like yeah. a he was basically he's like you know British Top Gun, um, from World War Two. Be my wingman any day. That's what Swan was actually about. <laughs> um, which I mean, which one of flying. the which one of the Rodal classics is like the one that you you grew up with that was like the most affected um for you i didn't really grow up with any of these uh besides charlie and the chocolate factory none of them were on rotation yeah i i really like charlie and the chocolate factory um but james and the giant peach was one of my favorite movies growing up like and, and that was another one that really played with form a lot um because it had you know the the first and last segments of the movie being live action with a bunch of stop motion in the middle of it um i definitely remember as a kid feeling like i'd never seen anything like that before you know just like it felt very new to me and the storytelling you know lent itself to that because of the movie you know the story taking place in a peach during the the you know, second and most of the third act um, as well. But yeah, that was that was definitely a big one for me. Yeah, I would, say, I would say same for me. And I remember that being the first movie that I was like actually terrified by as well. Um, you know, quite scary. Um, but it's kind of interesting to think about uh, his adaptations as like we get older. And there's just such a distinctly like British quality about everything that he does um, that I find quite appealing being an anglophile myself um and and i think like these short films these short adaptations are really going to be things that i revisit i think because they are going to be so accessible right so he's i mean they're except for henry sugar they're 17 minutes long the other three they're quick watches yeah yeah and and i just think there's so much to recommend about them um Let's talk about a couple favorite moments. Let's maybe like go through chronologically. Let's let's start with Henry Sugar. What was some favorite moments uh, that happened in Henry Sugar? Um, I really loved when when Ben Kingsley first starts really grinding, practicing, based on the word that he got from uh, the the old yogi. Like that that whole him describing his exact sequence, I feel like makes the rest of 
the the short because you understand like the the commitment that's required here not only from him but for, from Cumberbatch as well like I feel like it just really sets the table and is is a great little montage definitely Chip right? um I don't want to jump away from Henry Sugar yet but there are three other movies and I want to talk about them briefly but yeah there was going, there was a moment yeah there was there was a moment in the other three 17 minutes there was there was a moment of like oh. Wes Anderson could make a good horror movie if he wanted to. So Swan, yes. in general, there's a lot of like you could read like weird body hoarder Cronenberg. Like imagine David Cronenberg sinking his teeth into this kind of shit, right, Evan? Yeah. Um, but even the moment when the train goes over Rupert Friend's uh, body and he talks about the vacuum and he gets like pushed down into the gravel and the sound is so loud and the camera is shaking and shaking. But Rupert Friend just keeps speaking, and there's so much horror in his voice, but he still has that very steady, near-monotone, West-type dialogue that I thought was really powerful. Uh, Ratcatcher is, you know, basically like a, like a campfire ghost story type, type story. Um, and in particular, when the lights drop out and Ray finds who is playing a rat, essentially, uh, bites off the head of the rat. It's like, oh, my God, Wes Anderson can make a Dracula movie. Like, why am I not watching Wes Anderson's Nosferatu right now? Um, yeah. And then and then Poison, there's a moment uh, at the end where they think that the snake is loose and just like hell starts to break loose in the room. And again, you're like, oh, my God, am I watching a Wes Anderson haunted house movie of some kind? So I just, you know, there was that SNL skit of like Wes Anderson horror movie that came out like 13 years ago with Owen Wilson. Very, very funny sketch, like very funny. But I think really undersells like Wes's ability to, to play around with genre a little bit that I think would be really cool. I think uh you're talking about the Midnight Coterie of Sinister Intruders, by the way. Um, incredible. I would say it's like a top 10 SNL ske uh, sketch of all time. Um, it, and it's right on the heels of, of uh, I think it's right on the heels of, uh, what's it called? Um, Moonrise Kingdom. And so it uses like the letters and all that stuff. Oh, maybe not. Maybe it's maybe it's later than that. But it's pretty funny. Um, I think for me, the moments that struck me are, there's a couple moments, I think, maybe not in swan but uh in the other three of um shaky cam like handheld camera yeah it kind of reminded me of like bottle rocket kind of up through some stuff in uh life aquatic some like early wes anderson a uh, little bit of of chaos and i love how he injected that into um you know what is otherwise like <laughs> like pitch perfect masterfully crafted camera is not to move an inch off of its mark um filmmaking and i thought it was really really uh really cool like when he threw that in because it it gave those moments um a lot of affectation uh for me yeah yeah uh, absolutely i mean the the shaky cam was great all the camera work i thought in in these shorts was great um love the camera moving love how still the camera is uh, on some of those push-ins and stuff when um i think it's at the beginning of the swan when rupert friend is introducing the story and then is walking down you know describing the two boys finding the gun and getting ready to go out and he's like walking down this like row of hedges and there are just doors being opened almost in the hedges like on either side 
Um, I thought it was really cool and just such a simple thing to push the camera down uh, down the hedges, but it felt like you were there. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I'm trying to think of other moments. Oh, uh, a moment that I really appreciated in the rat catcher when the rat catcher first shows up. I feel like all the descriptions of these people are what make you buy in um emotionally and them describing him so clearly and even though he's like a weirdo and literally taking on like the the affectations of a rat it still humanizes him in such a way to describe his teeth and describe his ears and everything and i don't know there's something about it that makes it so that at the very end it's literally a fucking dude who bites off the head of a rat you know it's not like uh, the penguin from batman returns or something like that yeah. you know that's like an otherworldly creature no, a hundred, a hundred percent. And I think the other thing that was effective about the rat catcher, um, especially is the way that they are kind of like telling and not showing in a lot of ways, you know, like when they are like yes, ho- yes. holding up the rat, but there's no yeah. rat there. Right. You know, he's just pinching yeah. his fingers as if he's holding a rat by the neck. There's something, there was something that was so effective, um, about that. And then when Rupert friend who plays, uh, the reporter or no, sorry, he plays the mechanic, um, is then into the role of the rat. Like he literally puts teeth in and Mm -hmm. all of a sudden, you know, he's playing the rat in the standoff with the rat. Yeah. Again, Um, it feels like it's challenging to the audience a little bit by Wes. Um, The lack of props. He's like, Hey, use your imagination. You know, he's, he's putting forth a bit of a test to us and seeing if we'll rise up to it. Yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. Um, Any other moments that you guys thought were standouts that you want to want to touch on? Um, the, the, final moment in the swan you know when when he does jump and and landed in the yard and stuff and again a moment that just should be so ridiculous like it it looks like it could be a scene from like stepbrothers yeah. a grown man with wings on the ground with his mom running out of of the kitchen but i don't know there's something about it that just feels like it it I don't know. It, it is yeah. like the feeling of being an adult thinking back on childhood things and still being embarrassed by them or still being, you know, called traumatized or, or bothered by them, what have you. Um, I, I don't know. I really love that ending. Yeah, no, there's something just emotionally devastating about when Rupert Friend is he's the one on the ground in the swan wings and it's yeah. his younger self looking down on him. I think yeah, that's yeah. just such a loaded image to end that short on. Yeah, yeah. Which one of these four was your favorite? Gosh, I feel like we haven't really talked about Poison that much, but that one was fucking great. Um, I, I think I might, maybe it's unfair because it's 39 minutes. I think I might have to go with Henry Sugar just because yeah. by like the 22 minute mark, I my mind was so with him, yeah. was so with him. I could have watched another four hours. Yeah, and I just, I agree. It's hard to get away from Henry Sugar. I know it's like, it is kind of like, the feature almost of these four but yeah i was so i was so invested in everything that he was doing i was invested in his character when he would like when the moment when benedict cumberbatch realized oh my gosh it's me i'm one i'm the one in a million that the yogi talks about that has the ability to do that and him relaying quickly it took eight months to get from nine se- from 11 seconds to nine seconds. The last two seconds were the hardest, you know, and getting down and then and him like growing yeah. a beard. He's like all told, like basically it took me like three and a half years where he never left his apartment other than to eat. Um, I thought it was fucking awesome. 
And it I was, love how much you can read into that. Like, what is who is Wes talking about? Yeah. Like, who, who is is he inserting himself into these shoes? Is he thinking about someone else? Right. There's oh the parallels you can draw. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I thought the same thing. Um, I I was also just I just loved the moment when he goes in the casino for the first time. And he sees the two and he hits on the two. And I'm in my head being like, oh, they're going to find you out. You know, just like that's and I know that's not a West thing. Like that's a Rodol story thing. But it still was was so effective. And I kind of um, it was a moment that took me and I was like, oh, this is cool. Like this isn't this is a great adaptation of a story. But this Mm -hmm. is such an old story. And like these kind of moments are suspense are built in. So I think Henry Sugar is hard to get away from. Of the other three, uh, the shorter ones, what? What's out to you the most? For me, I would say it's Poison. Um, it's the last one I watched, so that definitely has something to do with it. Uh, but talk about just pure suspense, right? Not having to show anything, right? The uh, the idea of the thing is scare- far scarier than the thing itself. And uh, yeah, it was it was amazing. Uh, the twitching of Benedict Cumberbatch's uh, smile muscles, uh, as Dev Patel says. I, I thought we didn't talk, really talk about him in our favorite performances, but I thought Benedict Cumberbatch was an amazing addition to the way. Yeah. I would love to see him um, in more stuff. It feels like this is glad to see that he's acting. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. He's back. That he's that he's not just saying Peter Parker. Um, <laughs> kind of like. <laughs> yeah, Poison is great. Again, just. Give me the Wes Anderson monster movie, I think, is yeah. really my main takeaway oh, from everything. But he's pulling you, the sheet back. Pulling the sheet back. I mean, so Jed, you hit, it, you hit it on the head with, like, the idea of the thing is scarier than the thing itself. That's what, yeah. like, some of the best monster horror movie makers ever have done. And he did it in, in 17 minutes. Um, and it's just amazing. I, Man, I think that I'm probably going to be thinking about Swan for the longest. Like, I had a lot of fun with Ratcatcher. I think there's probably a lot to read into there. Poison, I think, has a certain um, devastation. And it's really interesting to end on Poison because it is probably the darkest. I mean, it literally ends with, like, Benedict also, Cumberbatch, like, exposed as a racist. Previously <laughs> in, in his adapted, character. Previously adapted, too, by Alfred Hitchcock. Really? Yeah, for, like, an anthology series. I think maybe for BBC that he did. How about um, that? Uh, yeah, previously adapted. And, yeah, 100%. It's very dark. It feels like the most, in a weird way, familiar. Like it feels like the more most like down the line of a kind of story that we've seen before. Sure, sure. Because um, you, you can kind of maybe see what's coming at the end, but it's Cumberbatch's reaction that I think you don't really yeah. see coming. Um, mm-hmm. And oh, it is kind of the monster is the people all along. Here's a little bit of that too. But hey, we we love a little social commentary in our horror, folks. Um, I do think that that Henry Sugar's number one. I think I'd probably put swan and or poison two three pretty well in there and rat catcher for rat catcher was like a lot of fun and like a flex um yeah but yeah i mean all four rat catcher had movies. the best punchline though with the yes maybe there's maybe there's something nutri- nutritious uh in there for the rats and then they flash to the missing person's poster yes yes no that was uh that was fantastic um yeah i just it's interesting i mean to view these also in line with Asteroid City, where it's like, how do normal people react to extraordinary things or incomprehensible things happening around them? They all do kind of feel like post-COVID, 
right? How how do we react to the the shit of the world that is falling mm-hmm. down around us? Heightened social awareness times, um, and I think that Swan stands out because it's like the incomprehensible thing is happening to the main character, to the protagonist, as opposed to the protagonist reacting to the incomprehensible thing around them. Um, And the horror slash beauty that can be found in there, which I think is really interesting. But yeah, uh, uh, Henry Sugar, for sure, like the way that Benedict Cumberbatch is reacting to the money um, is a very interesting social commentary from Wes, too. and I think it's it's rather scathing, but it's got a, you know, a really nice ending. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I I think Swan was my favorite and it felt the most different maybe than almost anything else that Wes had done because um, he creates a lot of tension in his movies. But I don't know, like the stakes never feel that that crazy. Like, even at the end of Grand Budapest, you know, we're, yeah. we're having life life and death chases and stuff, but we're doing it in, in stop motion. And, and different things are happening that almost seem to maybe remove you a little bit from the fear that one of your beloved characters will die. Um, but the swan, I don't know, even knowing that he made it through uh, that, that moment, Chip, that you're describing where the, the train is rushing over him and he's describing having the wind sucked out of his lungs. Like, that is all. That's horror that is horrifying to think about, you know, like hearing that almost made me uncomfortable. It's a survivor's tale. And it is. And, and it just gave me a different feeling than I think I'd ever gotten from a West movie. Like where I'm normally rooting for, for the moment that Steve Zissou sees the leopard shark, right? Like I I'm looking for that like emotional release um, that of almost like relief that people have found peace versus like relief that people are, not being tortured anymore <laughs> yeah no 100 percent um any other, anything else that you guys want to chat about with these four movies before we kind of talk about what the legacy of these four are? again just just so i don't know lucky that wes anderson is making things like this and it's it does feel a bit of a shame that there are you know, on Netflix, I really hope that around Oscar time, maybe they'll get plugged into a theater, you know, kind of a for your consideration kind of thing that they'll get mm-hmm. a run packaged all together. I mean, is again, that a bad thing, these... though? Is, like, for this type of format specifically, is it a bad thing that it's a Netflix? Because I, I feel like this is a really good delivery method for these types of short films. Sure. I would love to see them in a theater. but I'm I would love to see these in a theater. So yeah. what's that? What does that look like, right? Is it is it just like in release order? We're gonna roll these back to back to back. I think so yeah. You, I think they all an anthology? four have to play at once if it's in a movie. Yeah, theater. I don't I mean, know I, why. I it's guess not. you're. I guess it's not an anthology because it's on Netflix. The yeah. thing that Netflix and maybe for awards up, purposes way, for some reason I don't know. The thing I that guess Netflix because like Buster Scruggs. Is yeah. it on Netflix? Yeah, yeah, it's true. Original, right? Netflix fucked up though. It's like, I mean, in my opinion, they didn't even package these in like one, like easily accessible. Like, if you, if I was just a person that stumbled across Henry Sugar or some other, I wouldn't know that they're connected with anything. Yeah. Like, so why are we not? Like, why are they all four? It, it's basically they're four separate things. When like reality, they're just like. Yeah. So they, it, it doesn't even say you know. Um, like 
Last Onion is a good example, right? Like a Knives Out story is featured very heavily. Yeah. I, I feel like it's hard to miss that. And in this, the cover art is really what gives it away because the cover art looks so similar. Um, but yeah, they don't exactly say. I mean, they recommend you watching it next or whatever if you go to they, the recommendations they, after the. They didn't the, for me. Not, like not, well, not every time. It was weird. Oh, really? Like, after the first one ended, if I pressed back and I was back on the screen oh. of what I just watched underneath it, like, it had the other ones listed out as recommendations. But it also had, like, Suburbicon or something like that in there as well, you know, as as in the same genre of movie or whatever. But, yeah, I don't know. It, it could have been a bit more clear. Yeah, if you're just, like, a big cumber bro, you see Poison, and you're like, cool, I'm going to yeah. watch this. And then Roll Doll as Ray Fiennes, or flip that, Ray Fiennes as Roldal, shows up, like, 15 minutes into it, you're going to be like, what the hell am I? It's just it's just poor form from Netflix, um, which unfortunately feels like par for the course. Now, I say that. Maybe this is exactly how Wes Anderson wanted it in his contract with the great Netflix folks, and in that case, still don't quite understand it, but it's easy to, I think, point the finger at the streaming service. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, I, I hope it does play. These do play in theaters because I would definitely go see them. Yeah, I mean, if do you guys do you guys like it. these more than Asteroid City? Any of these or the totality of them more than Asteroid City? Dude, Asteroid City is a fucking masterpiece. So this not is, for this me. Is I'm like, question. so is there is there yeah. a single? Do you like these more than any of the Wes Anderson features? Probably. I need to do a full rewatch. It's there's there's a couple of blind spots that I got to fill in and. I mean, I like pretty much all these more than Moonrise Kingdom, but that's just my sensibilities. So I don't know if I like Ratcatcher more than, but Ratcatcher again to me is it was a good podcast. Um, Oh boy, Chip, uh, Chip will no longer be with us. Uh, We can't abide. Deceased in home. No, I understand what you're saying. Um, I think for me, I I think I could put Henry Sugar in in there like near the like we talked about top fives like around asteroid city and whether or not asteroid city was gonna get in the top five henry sugar just as like a if we're just gonna put work you know it could be up there for me i was enthralled by that i i think that i would have to revisit that i think because I don't know. I think these made me want to watch asteroid city more this is a weird phenomenon with me and wes where when i'm not actively talking about Wes Anderson or watching a Wes Anderson movie, I don't think that much about Wes Anderson. And then when I'm in these conversations, I'm like, I need to run back Fantastic Mr. Fox right now. You know, it's so, so I think watching these with Asteroid City nearby in the mind uh, or in the timeline would be interesting. All right. Any parting thoughts before we wrap this bad boy up? Did we, did we fully rank these? Did, did you guys fully? I went Henry Sugar, and then I'll probably go Swan, Poison, Ratcatcher. Yeah, so I go Henry Sugar, Poison, Swan, Ratcatcher. Okay, I I had I had I think the same as Chips. Henry Sugar, Swan, um, Poison, Ratcatcher. Uh, and God, honestly, it feels mean to Ratcatcher. For me, I know yeah. Ratcatcher is sick as fuck. For me, I think it the only reason that I put Poison ahead of Swan is the Dev Patel. Um, I just like Dev Patel. Fucking get, get just, yeah. He's just his eyebrows and just the way he's like. He's so beautiful. 
He's, he's so beautiful. beautiful. He's he's tall. He's like angular and just like the eyebrows are so high and the voice can be so high, but also whispered. It's like kind of an NPR voice, but not really. And he knows how to stay still because of the snake. It's it's an un, unbelievably good Dev Patel performance. A hundred percent. Um, thank you guys so much for listening. As always, if you haven't already, follow us on Twitter at Flick and Scream, on Instagram at Flicking and Screaming. Join the conversation at FlickingAndScreaming.com. There are incredible blogs over there, including Evan's most recent one um, about some of the best moments. Oppenheimer. Um, I keep saying we're going to talk about it, and I keep forgetting it, and I'm so sorry, Evan. Uh, <laughs> no, no, no. Here, um, here's what we're going to do. No next, if you haven't read it, if you haven't read it already, that's your bad, right? Like, it we're is. a couple weeks in. That's your bad. Go and just read it. I don't. We don't need to talk about it. You need to just go read it for yourself yeah. uh, and see how wonderful it is. Um, next week on the pod, we are going to be talking about the newest adventure of Hercule Poirot, and that is a haunting in Venice. But until then, I've been Jed Sprague, Evan Vagundas, JT Chipman from Flicking and Screaming. Have a good one, everybody. See ya. Good night, everyone. And now, the starting lineup for your gangsters. What's up, guys? Are you a slacker? Envy. I'm not going to debate you, Jerry. God bless the internet. <laughs>